I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the psalm that we just sang, number 22. And we're going to read together, beginning in verse 22 of that psalm, continuing on through the end, verse 31. Now, we considered the first 21 verses of this on Friday. And it's a psalm that is familiar because it begins with those words that were heard from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a psalm of David, but it was ultimately the psalm of Christ who cried out in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his forsakenness on the cross, as he suffered what we deserved. The abandonment, the mockery of men, but also the turning away of God Himself. The suffering that, that our sins had earned. But that first large section, that first two-thirds of the psalm, ended with a word of hope. As the Lord declares, you have answered me. You have answered me. All of the suffering was not for naught. It was not without purpose. But God answered. God provided. God delivered His servant and us through Him. And so we read, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And fear Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him, He heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear Him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before Him, even, those, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve Him. It will be recounted to, of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare His righteousness to a people who will be born, that He has done this. Amen. Amen indeed. Beloved of God the Father through Christ the risen Son. It really is a bit hard to believe that the psalm selection that we just read is the same psalm that we considered on Friday. That psalm was filled with suffering of the worst sort. Our Lord sings of being forsaken by God Himself. He complains of being mocked by evil men. He expects to be devoured by pure wickedness. Of course, He also speaks of God as the faithful Father. But he speaks of God's holiness in order to remind himself that God must have a plan in the midst of all this suffering and struggle. He longs for God to be near him since he feels utterly alone. He pleads for rescue from God since he is surrounded by wickedness and evil. Really, it's a psalm of struggle, of distress, of absolute desperation. One wonders how can that psalm be connected in any way with this one. But then we remember that last sentence, that last word in the Hebrew. You have answered me. And what relief, what comfort, what confidence is found in that solitary confession. You have answered me. 
And therefore my sorrow is but for a moment. My grief shall come to an end. My help shall come from the hand of the Lord my God. You have answered me. And that's the turning point. Because God has answered, therefore sorrow departs and celebration ensues. Because God has answered, we know that all the suffering is not without purpose. But from that forsakenness comes reconciliation. From that defeat comes victory eternal. And so first David and ultimately our Lord Jesus celebrates the victory that He has brought not through, not through the means that men would devise. Not through stirring drums and the sound of an army of men. But through a victory won in the death of the Son of God who then rose up victorious over death and over sin and over Satan and over all that held us captive. And it is that celebration of victory that we consider today because we know the rest of the story. We know how it all turned out. Now when David wrote this psalm, doubtless he had endured circumstances that caused him much grief. But those circumstances were as nothing in comparison with what Jesus would endure when he proclaimed the words of this psalm. We can't imagine the suffering that he endured, the depth of the, the grief and the sorrow that he knew. It was that suffering that drew from him the agonized words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it is only after he has come through the depth of that sorrow, of that grief, that he could know the heights of the joy and the celebration that come with his victory on the third day, with his resurrection from the dead, with the emptiness of the tomb. And it's that which brings from him the cry of the last third of this psalm. The triumphant servant celebrates the God of salvation. And in his celebration, we celebrate. In his victory, we know joy. The triumphant servant celebrates the God of salvation. And that celebration begins, brothers and sisters, as he resolves and as we resolve to reveal God's mercy. And that's our first point. Resolving to reveal God's mercy. At the very start of our text, we see the psalmist resolve to confess God among the saints. Now we need to remember as we go through this psalm that it was written by David. It was written in a particular historical context. But it was written ultimately as the confession of Christ. And through Christ as our confession. And so as we consider this psalm, we consider it in the light of those three aspects. As David's psalm, but ultimately as Jesus' psalm, and as ours in Jesus. Right? And so at the very start of this psalm, we read David's words, I will declare your name. I will praise you. He has recognized that the prayer that he prayed in the midst of his sorrow is being answered by God, that his deliverance is at hand. And so he resolves that he will declare the name of his Father in heaven. Encompassed within God's name are all of His attributes, all of His goodness, His holiness, which makes Him utterly perfect. His righteousness, which means His plan is always good. 
His love and His mercy, which extend higher than the heavens themselves. I will praise you, He says, that others might hear what you have done, how you have rescued, how you have heard my prayer. And David means to confess this to my brethren and in the midst of the assembly. He wants the people of God, on whom the name of God has been set by sacrament, He wants them to hear because they know. They know how good God is. They know what He's like. But how quick we are to forget. Right? In the, in the ho-hum of everyday life as we go through our daily struggles and just the commonplace aspects of life, we forget how amazing a God we serve and how astounding it is that He has called us to be His people. And David knows that. So having experienced such an amazing restoration. And again, as we noted on Friday, we don't know what prompted David to write these words. We don't know whether this was at that time when Saul was chasing him out of the land and he had to hide even among the Philistines. We don't know whether this was perhaps at that low point when he was experiencing the consequence of his sin with Bathsheba. Or if maybe, if maybe this was the time when he was chased from the land because of his son Absalom who rose up and turned the nation against him in part because of David's sin in dealing with Absalom. We don't know what exactly it was that caused David such grief that he cried out as he did in the start of Psalm 22. But whatever it was, when he was delivered from it, he recognized the goodness and the grace of God in a way that he had not before. And so he proclaimed it to God's people that they might know. And Jesus in his resurrection resolved to do the same. Looking forward to that time of resurrection, Jesus prayed in John 17. This, was, this is a section often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in it, he prays to God for his people in the light of the suffering that is about to fall upon him, but also in the light of the victory that will be won through that suffering. And so to God, before his disciples, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And therefore, he says, I have manifested your name to, to the men whom you have given me out of the world. He's revealed God to His disciples. First to those who, who were before Him then, but now ultimately to us. And He concludes that prayer saying, O righteous Father, the world has not known You, but I have known You. And these have known that You sent Me. And I have declared to them Your name. And I will declare it, that the love with which You loved Me may be in them and I in them. Jesus was anxious to ensure that not only in the light of his suffering, but also in the light of his victory, that God's people might recognize that it is God the Father who ordained all of this. None of it happened by accident. None of it happened by happenstance. Every last detail was ordained and foretold by God, and all of it was done to reveal the holiness, the righteousness, the goodness, and the love of God toward us. That we might respond likewise. Today the calling comes to us to reveal the mercy of God that was shown in Christ. And who would not have that desire who has known what we know, who has experienced what we experience? I mean, look at what Jesus has done for you. He lived the life of righteousness and holiness that you from the very start did not. 
right? Kids, every time, every time your parents told you to do something and you disobeyed, every time your parents asked, did this happen, and you lied, every time that you saw someone suffering on the playground and you failed to go and show them the love that you should have shown them, that could have condemned you. But Jesus never left that good thing undone. Jesus never disobeyed his parents. Jesus never forsook the law of God. Jesus did everything that we should have done, and he did it for us. That God might look upon us who trust in Jesus and say, that one is righteous, that one is clothed with the perfect holiness of Christ. And not only that, but he suffered for all those sins we did commit. Going even to death for us. He did that for us. And then he rose up victorious over death so that we being joined to him by faith so that we might know new life and the power of new life in him so that we might have the power to put off sin so that we might have these, this strength and the desire to love those who are in need. He did all of that for us. How can we then not eagerly tell others what he has done? How then can we not tell them how confident we are in Jesus because he not only died but he rose again and he sits at the right hand of God turning all things for our good. Even the things we don't understand. Even the things that that still fill us with grief. He's using all of it for our good and we know it because he's our resurrected Lord. We must be eager to tell others about the mercy he has shown us. And what will that look like? Well, David shows us in verses 23 and 24. He addresses directly all the descendants of Jacob, all you offspring of Israel. Again, the people of the covenant. He wants God's people to remember, to recognize what the Lord has done. And his message is quite simple. He has not despised nor abhorred nor hated the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, He heard. David wanted the people of God to know. The promises of our God are absolutely true. He will hear you when you pray to Him. When you are in need, He will not ignore you. When you feel alone, He will be with you, even in the dark of night, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And therefore you can be confident no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're enduring, no matter what that person has said to you or what your own heart has lied to you. He is there for you. He is loving you. He is working through that circumstance for you. David wanted Israel to remember that because he had just experienced it. He had just come through that valley. He had just experienced that feeling of being forsaken by everyone including God. But now God had answered his prayer and he wanted them to know it. Now if Jesus or if David had reason for that confession, so much more Jesus. I mean he had hung on the cross and cried out Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani my God my God why have you forsaken me and he did that after for 3 hours the darkness reminded him that because he bore our sin God had rejected him amazing and the people did not greet it with solemn gasps no they heard him cry out that agony And they mocked. He must be calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah brings him off the cross. Wicked. 
utterly alone. But the Lord has answered my prayer. And so now Jesus proclaims to them, look at what He has done. Touch the wounds in my hand and in my side. See that it is I. Give me some fish that I may eat, that you may behold and see that I am not a spirit, that I am not a vision, that I am just as real as you are, that my resurrection is true, that I am flesh and blood just as you are, and that I have gained victory over death for your sake. Now how can we to whom He has revealed Himself, how can we for whom He has risen, how can we not likewise declare to one another, as well as to those beyond, but especially to each other, how can we not declare, look at what God has done, look at the mercy He has shown, trust yourselves in Him. Recognize that's our calling and that is our joy. We love that old, old story of Jesus and His glory, and we should. That message never gets old, and it must not get old. Fathers, mothers, grandparents, tell the children what God has done, how Jesus has risen, how we can always trust in Him. Talk to them about that time that you felt utterly alone. Those times when you felt that no one understood, that no one was listening to you, but how the Lord heard, how He delivered, and how you could be confident in Him because of what Jesus did. Tell them, tell them, tell them, and tell them again. And don't stop there. Look at verse 25. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear Him. David resolved that he would worship the Lord wholeheartedly. He would go among God's people and he would be right up there in the front pew. He would be setting the tone. His voice would be heard by everyone gathered. And he would fulfill their, his vows. Now in his age, that generally meant that, that he had promised a particular offering. He was going to bring a bull or he was going to bring a, 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 newborn, or a first, first year calf in celebration of what God had done. That was the kind of vow that they brought. Unfortunately, what often happened is what happens to us? They would make that vow in their extremity, in their, in their suffering. And then when everything turned out well, they would just sort of forget. But David says, not me. I won't forget. I will bring that vow and I will testify as I bring it that God has answered my prayer and He has delivered me from the pit. And just as he resolved, so did Jesus resolve. Now, of course, Jesus resolved not to bring a bull or a goat before the Father. Jesus promised to bring sacrifices far greater. The sacrifice of his own heart, fully committed to obeying God. The sacrifice of complete devotion to the ways and to the purposes of God. The sacrifice of unwavering submission to the Father who sent him. The vow, even. The vow to convert and to preserve each one whom the Father had entrusted to His care. Understand this, that when he, when he brings you, when He brings you to know and to confess and to worship Him, Jesus is fulfilling His vow to the Father. He is bringing the worship that He promised. The worship of living sacrifices who lift their voices in praise that magnifies His own praise of the Father. 
We are the vow that he promised to bring. We are and we bring the worship that he desires to bring before the Father. And therefore, our vow is a fulfillment of his. When we vow to worship God, we're fulfilling Jesus' promise to his Father. When we devote our gifts and our time to serving the Lord, we're fulfilling Jesus' purpose. All that we do in serving God honors Jesus because that's why he came. Now David, he expects that there will be a response or a result from his response to God. When the people of God heard his confession, saw his worship, David expected that they would honor God themselves, that they would join him in his worship, that they would lift their voices in praise and confession. But that response of Israel would be as nothing to our response and the response of the church in every age to Jesus' confession. Having risen from the dead, Jesus explained to his disciples exactly why he had to do what he did. Exactly how it all fulfilled the scriptures, the law, the prophets, all of it. And then he equipped the apostles to put it all down in writing. And he sent the church forth that they might proclaim what he had done. That they might call the Jews and Gentiles alike to know God and to believe what His Son did and to worship Him in response. And therefore, the people in every place would praise and would worship God in response to His worship. And folks, that must be our response. Jesus inspired the words of this book to ensure that we would receive an absolutely true account of the sacrifice that He completed on the cross, of the victory that resulted from the resurrection, and of the absolute Lordship He revealed as He rose and sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. In the light of that, how can we not devote ourselves to honoring the Father through the Son? We must. We must tell others how perfectly God has delivered us from the misery of our sin. We must testify to the confidence that we have found in serving God through Jesus. We must testify to the new purpose we now have of devoting our every gift, our every opportunity, our every day to serving the Lord. And we must reveal the love of God personally, reflecting the love that's been shown to us as we love those whom He sets before us. We must reveal the mercy of God that He has manifested in Jesus. I want you to think about what that looks like in your life. How are you to declare Him to those before you? How are you to tell your children about what Jesus has done? Or your grandchildren? How are you to tell your friends or your neighbors about what Jesus has done? I want you to think about how that should be reflected in your worship. Can you stand there and mutter the words of celebration of what Jesus has done? Speaking speaking in an embarrassingly soft voice that the people right next to you can't even hear, much less the people beyond these walls? Can you worship with such half-hearted lack of vigor the one who raised up from the dead for your life? What about... What about your vows? Do you vow before the Lord? Have you resolved to use your every gift, your every opportunity, your every breath to serve the Lord? Have you thought about what that looks like? 
Children, have you thought about how you're going to use those gifts that have been given to you in order to serve God? That might mean, mean young men, devoting yourselves to studying to become a minister of the Word or an elder or a deacon. Or, or maybe, maybe your service is otherwise. Maybe the gifts that you've been given lend themselves to becoming a, an architect or an engineer that reflects the, the glory of God and the things you design or build. Maybe... Maybe the gifts you've been given enable you to, to fix things and bring wholeness out of that which is broken in order to serve those around you and to show them the love and the mercy of the Lord. Maybe, maybe the gifts you've been given are gifts of nurture, building up those who've been broken down, being there for those who have no one else. Think about the gifts you've been given and how God calls you to vow to use those gifts in a way that honor Him that you might urge your brothers and sisters to join you, that you might come alongside of your fellow saints and urge them to worship the Lord at your side, to devote their gifts to serving God likewise. However you do it, in whatever way it manifests itself, you must resolve to reveal the mercy of God. And when we do this, my friends, there will be a response from those around us. God has called us to be ambassadors, as we heard from 2 Corinthians 5. And when we are ambassadors, the people around us will respond. Sometimes the response to an ambassador is bitter. As people show their hatred for the one whom the ambassador represents. Other times the response is joyful. But regardless of what the response is, the ambassador will receive a response. And so our final point here is that we must expect that response. By expecting the expansion of God's praise. Now we're not going to dwell on this terribly long. But we do need to consider it a few minutes. The expansion of God's praise. We need, we need to expect that. And that expectation begins with what we read in verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. David expects ultimately that people from every nation will turn to the Lord. Now that was a distant expectation for him. He only got little tastes of it in his lifetime. There was a garrison of Philistines who devoted themselves to the Lord and to the service of David. That was a taste of what would later become a feast as people from every nation, as people from the distant ends of the world turned to the Lord. And yet David was eager for that time. He anticipated it with joy. Well, in Christ, that distant hope became reality. It's stunning, you know. It is stunning how very few of those who are gathered here today trace their physical lineage to the flesh and blood of Abraham. We come from all the other tribes and lands and nations and peoples. We come from forefathers who renounced their devotion to false gods, their worship of the creation. Today, the kingdom of God has encompassed the globe as the knowledge of Christ has been disseminated throughout the world, as the power of Christ has transformed lives in every land, as the truth of God has been embraced among, among the people of every family. And this has been the work of Christ who called and equipped His apostles to lay the foundation and then who equipped through the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God the people of the succeeding generations to spread that Word in every place where He sent them. Jesus has done this and He continues that work even today. Ours is the calling to perpetuate that work 
where he sends us. We heard it again in our assurance of pardon this morning. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors and we have been sent with the glorious message that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's your message. It's not rocket science. There is not one person in this place who cannot tell others what Jesus has done and how that brings life. There's not one. Our youngest children are able to tell their friends what Jesus did. Because you hear it every week. You hear it every single week. Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. All we must do is believe in Him. All we must do is trust Him. It's the very simple message of John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Simple, straightforward, but utterly and completely profound. And it must come forth by our words. It must come forth by also our works. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose for them. That's our calling, to live for Christ. What's that look like? It looks like figuring out how to devote our gifts to serving Him. It looks like evaluating those around us and asking how can we show the love of Christ to them. It looks like evaluating the sins of our life and how we can cast those off. Living for Him. Well, that just means putting ourselves last, doesn't it? That just means... Even though it means going outside of our comfort zone. Even though it means stretching ourselves a bit. Even though it means bearing the cost of loving people who are often not very lovable. We're going to remember how great His grace toward us has been. And we're going to show that kind of grace to the people around us. We're going to forgive them. We're going to love them. We're going to embrace them. Even when it's embarrassing. Even when it's hard. Even when it's that coworker who's whose words and whose jokes cause sailors to blush with shame, even when it's that neighbor who's kind of standoffish and doesn't go out of their way to, to see you, even when it's that person who always seems to take advantage We're going to go and we're going to show them the love of Christ. We're going to show them the mercy that's been shown to us. And we're going to expect God to use that because He rules over the nations, as as, uh, David said. He rules over the nations. He's the one who turns all things, not only for our good, but also for the fulfillment of His purposes. And so we're going to go forth expecting, expecting Him to lead us and to use us as His ambassadors. Now that might mean that, that he's going to call some of you to go down and, and help with the work in Luz de Vida, in Quito, Ecuador, and in Cumbaya. That he's going to make you school teachers down there, or physicians and nurses down there, or he's going to use you in some way to build up the church in Ecuador, or in Costa Rica, or in 
Romania. Or it might mean that He's already set you right in the mission field where He wants to use you. The mission field of Vermeer Manufacturing. The mission field of Pella Windows. The mission field of this part or that part of the town of Pella or the town of Knoxville or the town of Oskaloosa or the town of Prairie City. That, perhaps, is your mission field. And if that's your mission field, then you need to find the people that God has set before you that you might show them and express to them the love of Christ and the mercy that He has shown in dying for sin and rising up victorious. And as we take up that calling to confess Christ, perhaps in tiny little ways, perhaps it involves just just showing the love of Christ to your neighborhood children or to those, those retirees in your neighborhood who need your help. Perhaps it's in big ways. Hosting Bible studies for your co-workers or going door to door to tell people about Christ. In whatever way He has equipped you and is equipping you, we need to go expecting Him to use us with power. That's the last thing we see here. Look at the last verses. A posterity shall serve Him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare His righteousness to a people that will be born that He has done this. You see, it's not you who are responsible for building up the church and drawing in the lost. You're not responsible to do that. You are responsible for telling others what He has done. You are responsible for showing them the love of Christ. He is responsible for bringing the result of that. It's His power. And He has ordained amazing grace. He has ordained to use weak vessels like us to do it. And He will. Notice that a prosperity will serve Him. Actually, a little before that. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before Him. That's two very different groups. The, the prosperous of the earth in the Hebrew, it's literally the fat ones of the world. The rich, the ones who can afford to gorge themselves with the finest delicacies. Jesus said, and rightly so, in Matthew 18, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because the rich, they tend to idolize and they tend to rely upon the riches entrusted to their hands. It's hard for them to give up that trust on the world, the things of the world and trust instead in God. It's hard for them to devote all that stuff they have accumulated to serving rather than themselves to serving God. But even the prosperous of the world, He will work in their hearts and He will cause them to devote it all to Him. And also those who go down to the dust, those who are dying, those who are despairing of life, they too will turn to Him. They will find that this life is not the end, but that there is a greater life to come. And it will happen through the words you speak, through the love you show, but by the power of God who has done this. He is the one who will raise up both the rich and the poor, both the strong and the weak, and will cause them and the descendants of them, the generations yet to come, to rise up and call Him blessed and to celebrate the God of salvation. Your calling is not to accomplish it. Your calling is to be His faithful servant whom He may use. Brothers and sisters, we have every reason every reason to celebrate and rejoice 
if we have been saved through Christ. Therefore, having trusted in Him, let us celebrate the God of our salvation by resolving to reveal God's mercy in whatever opportunities He sets before you. And as you do so, let us expect the expansion of God's praise, not by our power, not by the might within us, but by the power of Christ who works through us. To Him and Him alone be all the glory. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank You and we praise You that You are such a great and gracious God. And not only gracious, but powerful. For You won the victory even when it seemed like defeat was at hand. Father, teach us to stand in awe of the mercy You've shown us, of the victory that You have won. Give us the courage to respond with worship and with praise and with confession wherever You set us. And Father, use us, even us, to give You the glory and the praise that You deserve. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.